it was a scorching summer day in Sacramento, and I'm dressed in clothes made of white cloth that does not breathe. Plus, I've got black formal clothes underneath. Yet another layer, the lining of my hood and face mask soaked with sweat. I'm at the Buddhist temple with my family, cousins, aunts, and uncles. They're also covered in sweat, partly from the heat, but also because of the fire that's in front of us. We took turns feeding joss paper into the flickering flames inside the giant metal barrel. One of my family members came forward and put some clothes into the fire. My sister stepped up next and tossed in a box full of all sorts of things, including an iPhone. It wasn't actually clothes or an iPhone. They were replicas made out of joss paper, which is also known as incense paper and is made to be burned. The patriarch of our family, my grandpa, had passed away. And these items made from joss paper are gifts to him in the afterlife. Paper mache gifts and spirit money are burned as offerings to our ancestors. This is to ensure that our loved ones are well provided for in the afterlife. Would Grandpa enjoy a three-story joss paper mache house? Yes, set it on fire. We took shifts making offerings. The iPhone from my sister? Grandpa always thought they were neat, but far too expensive to spend money on. Into the fire it goes. Someone else added a horse-shaped piñata into the fire, just in case he needed a horse. This practice isn't just for funerals. Joss paper is burned when we want to make offerings for our loved ones in the afterlife. Michelle Lamb is familiar with this experience. She's a story artist, director, and author, and she created a webcomic imagining her own grandpa on the receiving end of the scenario. I just thought it was like funny, like even though it's a sad time, you're like burning fake houses, fake cars, and you're just imagining your loved one living this glorious, glamorous life or something. So I was like, I gotta draw that. I recently chatted with Michelle about family, identity, and how she hopes to be an inspiration to others. And here's our conversation. So I wanted to get to talk to you specifically about a comic that you drew. It's the one of your grandfather um, when he had passed. Can you kind of describe it? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's an honor to even be a part of this podcast. That comic was actually one of my first comics, I think, when I was even starting off on Instagram, which is crazy to think about. It was just basically about how I sometimes feel like I forgot all of my knowledge of my background, like speaking Cantonese ever since my grandparents kind of disappeared from my life. Because as a kid, you speak with your grandparents the most when it comes to your language of heritage. And Cantonese was that for my family. And I used to speak Cantonese actually all the time as a kid with my grandparents. But, you know, as time went on and after they pass, it's like you use the language a lot less. And with my parents, they speak like Chinglish. So I'm like listening to them in Cantonese, but I'll respond in English. My language over time has deteriorated and it sometimes just shows the most when you go to public places and you order food or you have to speak with others. And even though it's an awkward experience internally, it's kind of like a dark reminder. Yeah, I, I completely understand because I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm not at home as much anymore and I don't really speak with my parents. They don't know that much English. I think one of the 
other cool stories is like the one illustrating kind of the ritual of burning Joss paper for those that have passed away. I found that really wonderful that you illustrated that like your grandpa's in like Kokomo, I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for noticing that. Honestly, I myself am surprised there are no animated movies or TV shows yet or stories kind of talking about that traditional practice. Because I do think even though I haven't really practiced my Cantonese or like spoken to anybody in a while, it's like strange that some of the practices, even in funerals, is when I strangely feel more closely tied to my culture. So I really wanted to make a comic about that just because I felt like, you know, I've never seen anyone else tell a story about that. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of stories about the Day of the Dead and other like practices in different cultures when it comes to the afterlife, but I haven't really seen one that was about you know, the Chinese version of the afterlife or how they do those practices. So I just wanted to quickly make my own version. And I don't know, I just thought it was like also funny, like even though it's a sad time, you're like burning fake houses, fake cars, and you're just imagining your loved one, like just live in this glorious, glamorous life or something. So I was like, I got to draw that. Yeah, and I think that was the part that struck me when I first saw it, because like as someone who's Chinese and how you illustrate it is how I imagined it in my head kind of happening. Like, the you know, it gets burned and they kind of like received it somehow or maybe it gets deposited into like this afterlife bank. Who knows? But it's just like, here's all the things you needed. And so it's just really great to have you as a storyteller telling that story. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I'm like, your power as an artist is kind of being able to illustrate the things that you wish could happen or the things that you would love to imagine that could happen. So, you know, with just something that is so emotional, like losing a loved one and only wishing the best for them in the afterlife is like, we don't really know what that's like, but by drawing a story of your perspective of it, it can provide some comfort for yourself or like anyone else who sees your comic. Yeah, and I I just love how you kind of throw in bits of like, cultural stuff into it too because like you said you're like Cantonese and I definitely get the feeling because um I think there was one it was set in a different style but I think you were like going on a walk with your grandpa in New York or something and uh I don't know if you guys were going to the market or something but I I struck a chord with me as well yeah yeah I think in that comic from what I remembered you know, those egg waffles that are now so trendy and everyone like sells it in these boba shops. They used to just be like carts on the streets where, you know, just street vendors would sell these egg waffles inside like little bags. And it was nothing fancy at all. And that was just like the memory where it was derived from. So I was just like, I don't know. I feel like that's just the vibe of being back in Chinatown as a kid, walking with your grandparents and they're like, I'll get them the snack and then they give it to you. And like just the act of them doing that for you just makes them so happy. And it's just like, oh my God. (laughs) So I actually grew up in Queens originally, but my grandparents 
lived in Chinatown. So every Friday we would pretty much visit them and have like dinners with them. I don't know. We, we normally had a lot of time just hanging out and just eating dinner and just like having a family experience once every week. It used to be really annoying, though, to have to commute from Queens to Chinatown. But now you're just like, wow, you know, it would be nice to go back to those days. Do you have other like memories growing up um, with your grandparents or maybe your parents around things like that? Yeah. So most of my childhood was actually spent with my grandparents because my parents were the ones who were busy working. So usually my grandparents would be the one who picked us up from school and they would like make us food and all of the cousins would all congregate at their house because they would pick up all of the cousins from each of the our aunts and uncles because we all of the parents were working so we would all just spend time with our grandparents and that was just something that I think was very solid about my Asian American childhood because that was when you were exposed the most to your culture or like your family's origins and just literally spending time with people who just are probably the closest that you'll ever have left of your culture. Unless if you're really diligent about holding on to it yourself, it's pretty much going to go out the window. So I do really appreciate those times. And I feel like the memories of spending time with my grandparents, it's like it was such a normal thing to just be doing homework, but they would be playing this random I don't know, Hong Kong drama in the background, or you just hear the Hong Kong news radio. Like, I don't even know how my grandpa got it installed in his car, but that was just one of those weird memories that you just always have in the back of your head is you'll just know the sound of like the radio broadcasters from Hong Kong, even though you don't understand what they're saying and you don't even know what they're talking about, but you're just like, yep, that's the radio station from Hong Kong my grandpa listens to. And just, you know, it was nice to just have forms of entertainment that was from, you know, Hong Kong and not just American shows all the time. So I'm like, I'm glad my palate was expanded from just American TV shows. So how important is family to you? Do you find yourself telling a lot of their stories in your work? Yeah, so my family pretty much inspires a lot of the comics and stories that I tell. As you can see, like they're almost in like either every other comic or like once every third comic, they'll probably show up for the most part. I feel like a lot of Asian American households are very tight knit growing up and you like always go out to dinners with everyone and you always are spending time with your cousins and extended family. So it really played a huge influence in the stories I tell because I feel like when I make stories, I have to think about characters and world that are based off of my pre-existing experiences and knowledge. So like even with my book, Mish the Bad Demon, a lot of the characters, even though they're just weird, fantastical creatures that you might not even think has any association with my life, they all in a way are derived from somebody I know because they were such core factors of me growing up. And I feel like, you know, of course, they also affect the decisions that I make today and just parts of my personality and just like being really hardworking and just 
wanting to secure my future are things that I'm definitely impacted by when it comes to my family. A lot of the stories that I tell are because of the sacrifices that they made or just like adjustments to, you know, being in another country or just even them just living their day-to-day lives and just like the small little quirks that they have that is just like, oh, how my grandma just really loves making juk, which is like a, a rice porridge. And it's just such a specific thing that it's just like, oh, I don't know why. I just have to make a comic about this because it was such a comforting element of my life. So I like to pick out little things like that and make stories out of them. Yeah, I think the more stories we can tell, the better to just kind of, you know, connect with others, but also just broaden everyone's horizons of like what that means. So how do you feel your work fits into the overall tapestry of, you know, the American story? Yeah, so I guess when it comes to my Instagram comics, particularly, I feel like it's more about me just showcasing my life, just living as a regular Asian American girl, just pursuing whatever her career goals are. And also just me existing, I hope is enough of me just showing somebody out there that, hey, look, this Asian American girl was able to make it in the art space. And that's usually a field where I feel like a lot of Asian Americans tend to be discouraged from pursuing. So I hope that just the act of me making a comic and posting it up and having some sort of success from it can inspire someone. And then also within the comic itself, just the fact that I'm showing, hey, I'm living my life and I have a really nice life with my cats and my partner and I'm able to have these great experiences that I can share can just be like an act to show someone out there that like, you know, you could also live a wholesome life or something like that. Or even like there are times where I share negative things that I experience and hopefully people who read those stories, like even dealing with like microaggressions or racism at times, it's like, it's a story that I wish I didn't have to share, but you know, by sharing it, hopefully somebody can relate to it (laughs) to some degree and just know that they're not alone. And this is a problem that we should all be facing. And then I guess when it comes to my more major works, like my graphic novel, It definitely plays a role in just me seriously trying to think about, oh, how can a story like this reflect things, for example, like what my grandma did for me or how she made these sacrifices, but how can I translate that into a fantasy universe or even me as a kid? It's like, you know, when you deal with stupid kids in school and they make fun of you for being Asian or something like, why are your eyes so small or something like that? Like, but translating it into a world where, you know, Maybe it's demon kids being like, oh my gosh, why are your horns not sharp or something like that? It's like things like that, I feel like can eventually become universal experiences. So I try to take my Asian American experiences and I put them in fictional worlds to hopefully become a universal experience, I guess. You know, being picked on is not specific to Chinese Americans. It's, you know, a universal thing. You You feel bad when people make fun of you for how you look or maybe what you brought to lunch or just even like your grandparents taking care of you. Is your art a way for you to deal with your feelings or situations? You mentioned uh, microaggressions and racism. Yeah, so 
definitely an outlet. And I also somewhat do it to just let others know that, you know, if I know a lot of people in my industry also face something like this. So I just kind of do it as an outlet for myself, but to also like contribute to this bigger issue, I guess, that needs to be resolved. And hopefully by creating a story, hopefully others will somehow be moved or impacted by it. Or even maybe somebody who would have been like an aggressor read my comic and maybe they'll have a change of heart or something like that. Like I just hope that my stories or comics can reach out to enough people out there that it can elicit some sort of emotional response from people for the better. For example, um, yeah, I've faced some experiences just being Asian American as a kid. And I remember there were times people would just make fun of like the way that Cantonese sounds or the way that a lot of Asian kids also listen to a lot of Asian music too. And it was not as big of a thing like K-pop and stuff was not popular back then. And now everybody is all about it. So it's like there are things that you just enjoyed back then that was not as much appreciated. And like Boba. Oh my God, I'm so bitter about Boba being so popular now. But I remember people used to be like, what are those black things in the drink? And it's just like, wow. So I'm glad that there is some change happening. And hopefully stories that I make can kind of bring more awareness to as many people as I can that do get access to my comics. And even just like, again, just my existence, I hope helps because there are also people out there who are just like, oh my gosh, you're just successful because you're an Asian girl or something like that. And it's just like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I've done some stuff with my work and I've been able to have my work speak for itself. So just being able to, still stand amongst all of that is really like, I hope shows people like, you know, you can be whatever you want and forget what other people say about you. So did you feel like you struggled at all with your identity growing up, having kind of that duality? It wasn't made as aware to me because I feel like I just thought that I was a regular girl growing up. Just, I don't know. I just felt like I was a normal person. I wasn't made aware of my Asian American identity growing up until like a lot later in life when eventual comments and messages from other people out there start to get at you, especially when it comes to the internet. So I felt like my struggles as a kid actually were not as big as me, like maybe as a later teen to young adult, I feel like when I was a kid, I didn't receive as many hateful comments, but more as a young adult is when I get more comments being like, oh, you're just an Asian girl and people like love Asian girls. So they'll just give you jobs and opportunities and that's why you're successful. So things like that really struck me when I was an adult more so than as a kid because now it's like starting to get really personal but because I'm in a, a young adult right now it just feels more real when I'm going through life and understanding what it takes to go through life and seeing like oh these are the struggles my parents my grandparents dealt with and look at me also going through the same thing that they're going through too so it's definitely it just hits a little bit more real as an adult. Yeah, and you're very vulnerable in the work that you put out to the public. How do you deal with the criticism? 
It's hard for sure. I think it's been easier lately just because you just know that not everybody knows your story and not everyone knows your life. And it's just easier for people out there to just throw buzzwords or just throw assumptions at you because everyone loves to judge everyone on the internet. You know, even I've been there and I've judged people. I haven't left any hateful comments, though, I will say for sure. But you do think things about personalities you see online naturally. But I do think ever since I experienced some, you know, things from people I'm now more conscious of not making these assumptions at other internet people or artists online because you don't know people's life. And that's just kind of how I have to leave it as whenever I do receive hateful comments from people, I'll just be like, you know what, they don't know me, they don't know my life, they're just judging this version of me that is very limiting of my true self online. So I kind of think of it as they're just judging what I've showcased online so far. But of course, not everything I showcase online is even of my life. It's only like five to 10% of my life, probably. It's half the time, it's only of me just choosing select elements of my life that I wanted to make a comic or a story of, or just share, you know, my experience as an artist. Those things probably are only the smallest fractions of what I go through on a daily basis. So I just have to remember they're just judging that tiny fraction in which half the time is probably fictional because it's a story that I made up in my comic. So they're not even judging anything that's real. So I try to use that as a way to healthily separate myself from any negative people online. Yeah. And I, like you say, it's storytelling, it's fiction. A lot of the time when you're trying to, I guess, get things across, like especially in comics, you have to exaggerate things to make it work, you know? I'm thinking back on one of your earlier comics where you're with your partner and they allowed you to choose what to watch. You chose a, you don't say what it is, of course, but it's a video that might be not appropriate <laughs> uh, for children. It's fun to see your kind of unfiltered experience with things, but then kind of leading people there without directly saying it. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely been a struggle sometimes to really share truly like raw content. But at the same time, I try to find the perfect balance to always remind people like, hey, I can tell diverse stories. I'm not just limited to just telling wholesome, cute, and only like cute things. And I feel like it also, it doesn't help with the Asian women stereotype because I guess like for us, we're always stereotyped as like, oh, she's so soft and quiet and just doesn't say anything and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, no, I actually have very angry thoughts that I could share if I wanted to. Or you just have like, unfiltered thoughts that you feel like you can't share, but you do. I just want to show people that like, you know, I'm not that stereotype and neither is any other Asian woman out there. Like we all have our unfiltered thoughts. We all have an unfiltered version of ourselves that I feel like we should be more proud to showcase, especially being in the entertainment industry. I'm like in animation and a lot of the stories out there are usually told by men and they can be unfiltered and say whatever they want in like the writer's room. But I think that, you know, women can also have a place in that 
that world. And I don't think we should be so scared about talking about things that are either adult themed or things that could slightly be controversial. Talk more about being a young uh, Asian American woman in the writer's room, like in the industry that you're in. So I will say that from my experience, it hasn't been as bad as some of the other stories you hear from people in Hollywood. I feel like animation is definitely a much more tamed world compared to like the live action space. So for me, I've pretty much had nice experiences thus far, but you're basically like assigned like writing partners that you can just sit together with and you're given like, you know, a general outline of this episode and you flesh it out further, insert jokes that you want or important beats that you think should be more emphasized. So you kind of just to detail out this outline that you're given a little bit more. So from that, I've had a pretty decent collaborative experience, nothing too crazy. And I feel like people do want to hear young voices nowadays and just hear what you have to say as a director or an artist on this show. But I do think if anything, that's a good sign in showing that, hey, you know, a lot of creative projects out there are starting to be more inclusive of people. That was my conversation with Michelle Lamb, director, story artist, and author. You can see her illustrations and learn more about her work at her website, mewtripled.com. That's M-E-W tripled.com. For more information on this episode and the series, head to pbsreno.org slash refugeesdaughter. And a special thank you to Michelle for joining the show. Subscribe to Refugees Daughter wherever you listen to podcasts and give the show a rating and review. I'm Christina Lee, and thanks for listening. This episode was written by Christina Lee with production help from Divergent Point Media. Refugee's Daughter is a presentation of PBS Reno.